Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 75 with Yaro Starrick of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Just wanted to say, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. Now, today's guest is actually another Australian. We're going back-to-back Australians at the moment with our features, and I promise you we're not being biased. This just kind of happened this way. We don't interview many Australian entrepreneurs. Like, so many of you international guys just – there's too many good international guys out there compared to us Australians, but – We do have some amazing ones uh, that I have in store over the coming weeks, and today's is actually another friend too. If you listened to last week's episode with Daryl Wade, you know, mentor and friend, and my ex-boss, make sure you check that out. Uh, I know you guys are loving that one. If you haven't listened to that yet, uh, and you are a regular listener, I think you really like that one. It's a ton of fun. And uh, yeah, look, today's uh, episode is with another dear friend. His name is Yara Starak. And what's really cool is actually when I was in my day job, you know, on my lunch break, I once uh, watched this video of Yara talking about how he left his nine to five job. And uh, he's kind of, he's pretty old school, pretty, you know, pretty well known and well established in the online entrepreneurship, certainly blogging space. And also, you know, I guess kind of building an online business, building a building a blog that can uh, replace your income, you know, a niche blog and 
and I guess living the laptop lifestyle and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I remember watching this video of Yara just thinking like, you know, and this is like four years ago thinking, wow, that guy is so cool. I wish, you know, I could live how he lives. And, uh, you know, what's really surreal is, you know, I actually interviewed him for the magazine two and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, when he was, he's from Brisbane and when he was in town in Melbourne, you know, I offered to take him out for dinner and to, to catch up just for taking the time to, you know, do that interview with me. And then from there that, uh, kind of created this amazing friendship that we, uh, we share now and he lives in Canada and we'll probably try and catch up, you know, when I go to the States uh, later this year. So I guess, where am I going with this? I guess all I'm saying is it's just so cool how, how far we can come, you know, if, if you put your head down and, and it's so cool the relationships you can build with people if you just always look to serve first and ask later and, and, you know, just go out of your way to say thank you for, you know, whatever that person's time is that they're giving to you. Anyways, yeah, great episode with Yarrow coming up, guys. Uh, really, really pumped about this one because I guess we both kind of let the guard down and we just talk shop about blogging, email marketing, you know, funnels, you know, you name it, making money online. It's it's crazy. So there's a lot of gold here. Yarrow definitely goes in depth and uh, yeah, I'm just going to leave that with you. Just take my word for it. This is a good one that I'm quite proud of. So yeah, look, Yara's an absolute boss. He's been doing this online entrepreneurship thing for over 10 years. He knows his stuff. I'm sure there's a ton you'll be able to learn from him. Now let's jump into the show. Yeah, look, the first question that I ask everybody that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? I don't have a job, Nathan. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's why I ask everyone, had, man. <laughs> I've never had a job in my entire life. That was the the primary goal of doing anything online or anything as an entrepreneur was to avoid nine to five work. And I'm very proud of the fact that although I had casual jobs and I had part time work, I never have had a full time job in my life. Never will. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How good is it? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think it's good. I, I don't know what it's like being on the other side, so it's pretty awesome right now. But oh, yeah, <laughs> you've look, had a job, so you know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I can definitely tell you it is it is much better on this side of the world. But <laughs> I'm curious. So let's take us back. Um, for those of the audience that are not familiar with your work, because you've been doing blogging since it was even cool or was called blogging. Take us back, man. Like, how did it all start? You you went to uni? Yeah, I did. So, you know, I was I got my start as a youngster like yourself. Uh, actually, even younger than you, Nathan, <laughs> when you got your start. I started at 19, 18, 19. Yeah, and wow. I, I, it was great timing. You know, if you want to talk about the Wild West, that was 1998, 1999. Dot-com boom has started and was going through that crazy ride of hearing about so many companies online. Obviously, it was the first time, you know, you, people were talking about making money online. And I loved it. I love the internet. I love forums and news groups and websites. That's all we had back then. <laughs> Nothing else. No search engine like Google, no social media, no blogs, no podcasts. That was it. So I, I kind of fell in love with the internet and I naturally wanted to have my own website, my own something. But I was 18, 19. So, you know, I, I didn't really know much about business. In fact, my thoughts about business at the time were 
come up with a great product idea and then run television, radio ads and billboard ads. And hopefully if the product's good enough, you'll make a lot of money. So I didn't really think about anything else. Didn't think about customers or, you know, funnels or marketing or, you know, direct response or copywriting or all the things I later learned. But I did start a website and it, it was a hobby site about a card game called Magic the Gathering, which is a kind of a, it's a geeky game, proud to say. It's a combination of your dragons and your elves and your goblins, all your fantasy stuff mixed in with the competitiveness of poker. And there actually is a, a professional tournament series played around the world and still is today. It's been going on for like 20 years now. And I played competitively uh, in high school and a little bit after high school while in university. So my first website was about that. And it turned into like an online magazine. We had guys writing tournament reports. And then I launched an e-commerce store and a trading forum. So it actually became an income source for me. Didn't make a ton of money, but 500 to 1000 bucks a month. And boy, did I learn a lot. Great training ground for running a business. Uh, you know, I was going down to the post office every day, sending off cards <laughs> and, uh, you know, hustling, as you would say, you know, <laughs> hustling a lot back then. <laughs> but eventually I grew out of the card game and I wanted to do something a bit bigger or something, you know, full-time income. So I actually ended up starting an editing company, which was modeled off some, uh, well, kind of two things. It was a combination of a U.S. guy who was, in his Harvard dorm running an essay editing service that skyrocketed, became super big, and he ended up selling for a few million because it was back in the dot-com boom, so you could sell anything or anything, basically. But I like oh, the wow. idea. I took it to Australia, and I said, what do we need here? Well, we have a lot of international students at university whose language is not English first. They're struggling with their academic writing. So I started an editing service for that specific niche, and I, I basically connected university professors and PhD graduates with the students to edit their papers. And that, that worked really well. And it actually became my first ever, I guess, successful full-time income business. You know, as the first business, I grew to 100000 a year in revenue. And it was a real lifestyle business. You know, it only took me a couple of hours a day to sort of maintain it. I forwarded emails back and forward between the editors and the students. And uh, it was great. But there was one thing missing from it. I kind of lacked passion eventually. Once I made good money from it, I was like, you know what? I don't want to run a, an editing business for the rest of my life. And it was around the, this time, 2004, and I was like 24 years old, I came across blogging. So that's, it was actually by chance. It was early days. People were talking about blogs because they were great for getting traffic from Google. Simple as that. You put up a blog, you write some posts, Google starts sending you traffic. So I didn't know what the difference was between a blog and a website. And I learned by putting a blog on my editing company website. So I started an editing and proofreading blog really boring subject. So mm. I kind of crashed and burned within three months of trying to write about editing and proofreading. No offense to the editors and proofreaders of the world. But what I did love, and I think this is where we share a passion, Nathan, is I love talking about running my business. And of course, by then I'd had seven years experience. I'd had a, you know, this card game shop. I'd had this editing company. Uh, I had an, an offline English school. I don't think I ever told you about that. I had a, like an English school in the real world. I also had done some other things. So I just wrote about it on this new blog intended to be a hobby called Entrepreneur's Journey. Little did I know it would become 
the, what I do for a living. And, and 10 years later, I'm still writing that same blog. I, I've sold off the editing company a few years back, sold off the card game store. I pretty, pretty much sold off everything to go 100% into blogging because I loved it. I loved writing. I loved teaching. I loved sharing stories. I loved podcasting. I love, you know, basically being a content creator and, and having a an amazing business that runs behind my content that that sells and helps people and you know you can make a great living doing it so that's what i still do today that's a really good roundabout story i didn't even know some of these things man so dude i have a first question for you like you said you went to uni so you, during these other businesses like the editing business and the card shop business um you were supporting yourself all through uni and then you just transitioned to work on on that all, all full time Pretty much. So and I did a business management degree at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Yep. And I had casual jobs. Like one of the best jobs I've ever had was working at the help desk at the university library, which is basically sitting in front of a computer <laughs> waiting for students to come up and say, I've lost my assignment on this floppy disk. Can you save it? <laughs> you know, and I I did that all day long, but it's not very like there were periods where it was busy. But I do night shifts, like four hour blocks, and you're getting paid twenty five dollars an hour to sit in front of the internet. So, literally, like my business was run and built while working this casual job half the time. So I kind of supplemented my income with casual work. That was when I had the card game site and. Once I graduated, I kept the casual job for a couple of years while I grew my editing company, and it it, it became a full time income. But I had trouble quitting the job because it was it was just such an easy job to do. <laughs> and I, this sounds really kind of sad, but it was my main social life because back then, not a, Brisbane wasn't a hotbed for internet marketers and online entrepreneurs. I didn't really have many friends doing what I was doing, mm. so that casual job at least gave me you know some kind of interaction with other human beings. Otherwise, you sit at home on your computer all day, you know, which is yeah, you still yeah. do that. You know? So yeah, to answer your question, the proofreading, the editing company became my full time income, and that's I ended up quitting the casual job and and one hundred percent on that business. Yeah, okay, yeah, because they didn't have, like, co-working spaces or anything like that back then, right? No spaces, no meetups, no Skype, no social media. You know, there was oh, no group wow. of people. You had to kind of – you could attend networking events, but they were, like, you know, working-class people <laughs> going to events. And you talk to them, and they're, oh, yeah, I'm a marketing manager at so-and-so company. I'm like – we don't have anything in common. <laughs> you know, where's the lifestyle entrepreneurs? <laughs> yeah, well, that's crazy. All right, so – all right, we're going deep now. So, dude, I'm really curious, and this is something I've always wondered, you know, and you might find this, I'm really excited to hear your answer to this. Like, you know, people always talked about, you know, the dot-com boom, and they also talk about, you know, the financial crisis. And I've always wondered, you know, because me and you have similar businesses, you know, they're online information publishing, you know, content creation type businesses. And they're, you know, they're digital, uh, we sell digital products. And I've always wondered, you know, let's say, you know, something like a, a, an equivalent of the financial crisis happened again in two years from now. And, you know, you hear all these myths and all this stuff, right, that it's coming. Mm. And during that period, like, you know, the dot-com, maybe not so much the dot-com boom, but the financial crisis, did your business take a hit? Good question. You know, I, I actually launched my first ever product, my first ever course in 2007. And the GFC hit, you know, global financial crisis hit 
I believe 2008. So I was literally in the thick of it, like my first kind of early days of creating products, kind of like where you are at. Like you imagine right now, because you've you know launched your first training program, your first community. Mm. Right now, there was a big, huge global financial crisis. That's you're at where I was at at the time, mm. and I remember going, "Okay, am I getting hit by any kind of negative impact by this?" And I did notice a, a few people give me the explanation of I have to cancel because I've been let off my job or something like that. Mm. But I, I honestly believe. As a person who is teaching an alternative way of making money, you actually benefit from that because you're creating, like you're helping people create businesses that basically do things that are, are kind of fundamental. Like if you're helping people, whatever it is, you know, lose weight or cure their skin, I'm kind of thinking about half my students here, you know, help people write books or things like that. These are kind of things that people always need to do. And in fact, when when a crisis hits, it actually can be great, assuming you're not targeting people who depend on something that gets hit hard. You know, if you're servicing the the oil industry right now, you're probably not doing great because oil is too cheap, right? Mm. However, if you're servicing, you know, the, the the airline industry because oil is so cheap, it's great. So, mm. you know, but I didn't I didn't have that kind of tie-in to a specific industry. All I had was Here's a way I teach people how to make money from a blog. If you have knowledge in your head, you can take that knowledge, turn it into content on a blog and through email and sell your own products and make a living. And if someone, you know, just got laid off because of the GFC, this actually looks like a perfect timing to take a course like that. So I think I actually benefited from from that kind of event. Oh, okay, interesting. So would you say the quote um, that Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful would be true in your case then? Uh, you know, that's, I think, more related to choosing to invest and, you know, when to invest and what in what to invest in. And I think that makes sense. It doesn't quite, I think, apply quite the same. I, I What I love it is the sentiment of, you know, thinking about why why are a group doing something and how much of it is just emotional herd mentality, and then how can you actually a plan for that and b benefit from it? That's mm. that's what I like about that. Thinking about okay, you know, I remember who was it? Someone was telling me recently that, for example, uh, Facebook and all these guys are planning a stockpiling cash because they think there's going to be a bit of a crash in the stock market, so their valuations will be lower so it's not gonna be so easy to raise funds they need to have a, a war chest of money so you know they're planning for the future right yeah wow um, so i think as a as, as what we do we can we can certainly do the same thing but i think a lot of it actually comes down to repositioning our marketing right like it'll be targeting certain attitudes that'll be prevalent at the time so if there's a crisis that happens we can say like you know don't ever be dependent on a job again take one of our courses you know be be the master of your own destiny so there's there's always an opportunity to use the current story as a part of your marketing mm, okay interesting yeah okay all right so um were you always charging in US dollars back then would have you got hit because of the the drop in the dollar though yes i i was charging US and have for almost the entire time i've run my business there was a brief period where i switched to aussie Wow. Uh, that was that period, what was it, three or four or five years ago when the Aussie was 5 to 10% stronger than the U.S. 
And I switched it then. It didn't last long, though. I remember thinking it was maybe six months to a year. And that was just purely a, you know, made sense financially to do that, especially looking at my my customer base. It was I have a fairly large Australian base of customers, not as big as the US. Mm. And now it's the opposite. Like I, I'm having Australians and Canadians saying to me, hey, listen, I can't afford your stuff because it's forty percent extra. Yeah, yeah, for, that's for what American I get. Dollar. Yeah, that's what happens with yeah. us. So, you know, it's it's you gotta decide how to how to deal with that circumstance. Maybe change your marketing. Like for example, if you're doing Facebook ads, go after America now. Don't go after Australia because it's it's harder for the Aussies to pay. Yeah, we we actually funnily story actually just on that. Um, we don't do any uh, advertising to people in Australia because we're trying to get a a, a grant in Australia. Um, it's called the EMDG grant. Grants. Yeah, did I tell you about that? No, but I, I'm quite familiar with the gentleman who who helps companies do that. So mm. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. For us, like we've always charged US, and I think we always will have to because most of our customer base is there, and like. That's how we pay like a lot of our team members, like all of our online international team members. It's all, all transactions are done in US. It's kind of like the global currency in a way when you do mm. online stuff, right? Yeah. And you just enjoy these moments. If you happen to be living in Canada or Australia or you know anywhere else and you've got this great transaction. But on the flip side, as you know well, every service you're paying for on a regular basis, like your hosting and your your customer uh, support software and so on, all those yeah. SaaS softwares are suddenly 40% more. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I know, I know. feel it on so, that end. Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. Like, you know, um, but that's interesting that you changed it. You you can do that, hey? You can just do that, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I remember when I did it, I didn't have a ton of products on the market either. I think now would be quite a significant change but you know sometimes like when when aussies contact me and say they can't afford it i, I might sort of let's work out a, a way you can you know pay in aussie dollars payment plan or something and you know help help them out in that regard because i, I get it i've been there myself but buying american stuff with a weaker dollar so mm, yeah yeah okay interesting um dude let's talk about the heyday for you because you went through a, a stage me and you have actually never even talked about this, where you went through a stage when you were just absolutely crushing it with blogging. There weren't many people teaching it. And um, yeah, t tell us about like during those days. And yeah, why, well, why was that the case, you think? And tell us why like how and how things have changed because you're one of these people that have been in this online entrepreneurship blogging space for a long time. So you've seen people come, you've seen people go and you've seen people come into the space and, and really disrupt things and, and build up quite a large significant audience. So mm. I'd like to hear your, your take on that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting because I was one of the first people to a make money from a blog, b teach it and, and see right things like giving away a free report about how to make money blogging. And I'm pretty certain I was the first person with a, a flagship course on how to make money blogging too, with my blog mastermind, the first wow. version of it. And it, it kind of, I was lucky, but I think smart in the fact that I was straddling two worlds. I was studying blogging and watching bloggers, but I was also studying internet marketers and watching them do amazing things with email marketing. Mm. and I combined those two worlds. And I, that's the thing. At the time, none of the internet marketers were heavy in, in blogging, if, if they did blogging at all. They weren't into that. They weren't into social media. 
podcasting. Yeah, wow. They still, most of them aren't. Still, a lot of them you'll find don't do anything. They're not going to be posting to Instagram. They're not going to be Pinteresting, you know. If Why? anything, they might have a, a virtual assistant doing it because they are masters at email marketing and they just get their traffic through pretty standard platforms like buying ads and doing joint ventures. It's, you know, it's Facebook advertising and it's uh, Google advertising and it's big affiliate launches that really give them huge lists, you know. Mm. And because of that, they don't need this social presence. They just, as long as they've got some kind of proof of concept. So I took that. I, I was like, you know, I'm building this great blog, but I can channel my blog audience into an email list and get the benefit of being able to do direct response marketing. So I did that and then I taught that. And that was what was, I think, great. So many people who took my my course said, you know, the one thing you taught me about everything else that really mattered was start an email list, you know? And it's amazing because that's 101 internet marketing today. You have to have a list. But back then, even myself, it took me a year before I added an email list to my blog. And just I just didn't do it. Bloggers weren't doing it. They were growing their RSS feeds. And that's what RSS feeds, about. wow. And back in the day. So you know, I benefited heaps from email marketing because I would do, I could do a launch and I could sell my course and I'd, I'd learned about all the classic psychological triggers like scarcity and social proof and authority and consistency. And I used all those things in my, my training and in my, my launches and just in my promotions. And it did, did really well. I kind of got tired of it. That's actually what happened. Like I made, it did my couple of half a million years of income and I was like, you know what, I don't want to do any more courses. I'm kind of tired of creating training products. So I had this, um, I guess the golden years in that, that period anyway was 07, 08, sort of 09. I did a eight months traveling around the world, ran my business from my laptop, made more money than I spent on the trip. And uh, it was great, you know. And mm. then I, I kind of got burnt out from teaching and and wanted to do a startup. So I kind of switched gears a little bit, had some some family challenges with my mom going into hospital and sort of, you know, I was kind of grateful that I was running my own business because I could spend some time with my mom while she was in there. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. But, you know, things changed over the sort of 2010, over the next two or three years, podcasting exploded then Pinterest exploded, then Instagram exploded. And suddenly there's, you know, gurus on every platform. People were getting massive audiences. Kids like Nathan Chan pop up and start <laughs> magazines and Instagram accounts and suddenly have half a million followers. So everything got bigger. Everyone, and still is, everyone's growing huge audiences. And it's it's amazing. But, um, you know, I'm still getting most of my traffic from my blog, all my sales from my blog and my email list. So I haven't really changed in that regard. The system still works. The difference now is you've got all these other channels you can tap into. And uh, there's a lot more people you can work with. You're the master of networking. So you know how many people have audiences now that you can work with and do joint ventures with or swap Instagram pictures with, whatever it is you do, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, this is interesting. So are you able, like, are you open to being transparent with like uh, your your traffic and 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 your list size? Because I think the audience would find that interesting. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, it's it's changed so much. Like when I was doing like my early days, I, I added a, an email list to my blog, got ten subscribers a day, hmm. which was awesome. <laughs> it was you know amazing, and that just kept going up as my blog traffic went up, and I think I sort of peaked at. I ran about 50 subscribers a day, and then I added a pop-up. 
And wow, it jumped to 100 subscribers a day. <laughs> so who oh, knew pop-ups were so wait, wait, effective? Wait. Sorry, sorry. How much traffic were you getting out of curiosity? Oh, okay. It's hard for me to kind of think back over the years. You know, it's sort of, it was, I think at the point where I was getting 10 opt-ins a day, we're, we're looking at kind of 500 to 1,000 visitors a day. But a lot of that's sort of random search traffic. So, oh, yeah. you know, they, they weren't necessarily all interested in the subject of my email list. Yes. And then... To give you the full story, I had a, a roller coaster ride with traffic. Well, not a roller coaster ride. I had a, I won't call it a hockey stick growth. I had a nice, steady, slow trajectory of growth over a number of years. Like literally from the day I started my blog, there was a bit of a spike at the beginning for the first year or two. Then it just sort of flattened out to this point where uh, I think if I remember right, I sat at around 100,000 visitors a month. And that was consistent no matter what I did. You I wrote more content. Sessions. That was unique visitors. Yep. So around about 150 to 180 in page views, right? Yep. And it just stayed there. And I, it's amazing. I, I swear it, it was all Google deciding how much traffic they wanted to give me, which I still think they do, right? <laughs> and, yeah, of course. You know, the, I, I would write more articles. Nothing changed. I'd write less articles. Nothing changed. You know? <laughs> so um, it was definitely like you just got put in a spot. And it, not that that was complaining. That was a great amount of traffic, and I could do a lot. I could run my whole business, and I was running yeah. a lifestyle business. Yeah, so, boss, man. But then something happened. It, it sort of around 2011, it started to go backwards. It was the first time I've ever seen a, a sort of downwards trend. So I watched that slowly, and I I was not in like that was at the point where I'd also moved on to my startup, and I was still running my blog. I was still posting. I was telling stories about running my startup. I also had a few experiments with bringing on some other writers, which didn't really work well for a couple of reasons, because I didn't like having to edit other people's work. And people started complaining that came to my blog for my writing. That's actually when I realized that I'm probably just as much a writer, not, not probably, I am just as much a writer, if not more of a writer than I am an entrepreneur. So there's a distinction mm. there. And the traffic went backwards and then probably leveled to about half, like the, the lowest of the low period was 50,000, 50 to 60,000 unique visitors a month. Mm. And that would have been probably 2011, 2012-ish. And I had, I could go into theories I had regarding, you know, why things change, SEO changes, you know, removing dates from your blog, links getting old, but I'm not going to speculate because all of it is speculation. Yeah. But what did happen was I, I kind of, I kept writing and I one day <laughs> woke up and there was that upward trend again, kicked back in. Wasn't a spike? And I wouldn't call it a spike. It was definitely a jump. Uh, it was a jump to like a new new platform. And, and again, it, it didn't continue to spike. It continued to slowly grow over a period of months. And it, it, within uh, probably six months, it was up to where it was with 100,000 visitors a month and then it kept going so that was the first time after probably eight years of blogging i actually broke over a hundred thousand visitors a month and then it kind of peaked uh probably in the last uh, i've had this year that just passed 2015 was my highest traffic year ever so we did a, we did two million just over two million unique visitors last year and i think the previous sort of years were all around the 1 million to 1.5 million visitors. So, you know, it's great to see. It's nice to think about. You've got 2 million people who've seen your writing. That's all my writing. Well, mostly my writing, a few guest posts here and there. So, you know, wow. I really love that. Yeah, wow. So you got, you know, around 150K, 160K visitors a month. 
Yeah, it's it's been around two hundred thousand for the for most of two thousand and fifteen. You know, it goes down Christmas time and yeah, yeah. Quick. Wow, that's that's really impressive. Um, so Google, the Google God is looking after you now. <laughs> you know, this is the crazy thing. There's no clear reason why. I mean, I wish I could say, you know, I'm an SEO genius and I make I, I made some changes. I won't lie to you. I made some experiments. I I did remove dates from my blog, which I think helps. I did some restructuring of a few you know pieces of content i removed advertising i, I cut down on my ads a lot ah. uh, I, you know, I changed my design there was all these kind of rumors talking about if you have too many ads and, and so on so you know i played with things and i like to think i am responsible but my theory with google is it's not it, it's a, a trend watcher over time so you can change something today and go, well, a month later, nothing's changed. So it didn't work. But what they're really looking for is your long-term trend. Are you getting more links than you used to? Are you producing higher quality content than you used to? Are you getting more social shares than you used to, more incoming links than you used to? And is, is this a trend, a long-term trend? And they check in on you and go, yeah, this guy's doing better. Let's bump him up. You know, yeah, that's right. That's how gotcha. I think it works. And that would make sense to me. They don't want to do fly by night stuff. They want to look at long term trends. Mm, yeah, that makes sense because everyone says like SEO and this whole content marketing thing. It is a very very long game. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think you get rewarded for work you did six months ago. Yeah, I agree, dude. Like we this time last year, you know, we didn't even have really any content marketing strategy. Didn't really do much posting on the blog. A little bit. And we had like 5,000 hits a month and now we're close to 100,000. So we're working on catching you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a, you've got a team now doing content for you. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, I know. But I'm curious. So how many blog posts do you have in total on the, the entrepreneurs-journey.com website? I don't actually know. <laughs> um, like, is it three thousand? When when I um spoke to Darren Rouse, it was something crazy, like maybe five thousand or maybe ten thousand. Mm. It was insane. Like I was it'd just be, like, wow, it'd be ten thousand plus for Darren, yeah, I think, because yeah. he's he's put a lot of stuff over the years. I think mine's probably close to around two, two to three. It'll be somewhere sitting in there in, in the ten years because you know I, I've I've had a very clear stance about how to run a strategy for blogging, and it's been very much eighty twenty rule focused like mm. i discovered the 80 20 rule around the same time as i started blogging maybe a little before uh, actually yeah definitely before i started blogging but it heavily influenced my strategy because i saw guys like darren and a lot of other bloggers writing five ten posts a day during the early days because everyone was writing magazines and it was all about covering the news and putting out lots of content with blogs ah. and i was like i i don't want a 12-hour day trying to cover every little ounce of news and i, I kind of you know, I tried it a little bit here and there, but I realized I love writing in-depth, thought-provoking, helpful, epic content, whatever you want to call it. I called it pillar articles back in the day. Because ah, that's where it's I, at now. Right, and that's where it still is. And, and, and the difference now is it's more about the marketing. But you know, I, I wanted to create a blog that only took an hour or two to maintain. And to get that right, you have to build a machine behind your blog. And that's why the email list was so important. That's why having my own products was so important. Bloggers back then, all about page views and advertising. It was Google AdSense. Let's get as many page views as we can. And to me, that just, it seemed insane because you'd have to build this content factory 
And I didn't want to be in charge of a content factory. I wanted to express myself through my writing and have a business running behind it. Mm. So, you know, I was very, very clear about the, the different formula I was going to use for blogging, which is still what I teach other bloggers today. And I think it's even better today because it's so crowded. You need something much more focused, strategic, based on, you know, sales funnels, emails and products that you sell from your blog. Yeah, can we delve a little bit more on your blogging strategy? Because I'm sure there's many people listening to this and they're like, okay, so I've you know, started my business, like, do is blogging worth my time? Where do I start? What I, I don't know what to write about. You know, Can you give us an overarching strategy? I know we, you could talk about it all day, but just give us some, an overarching strategy of what you teach when it comes to blogging and, and why it is so important, you believe, to, to get on this content marketing train like um uh, you don't usually really use the words content marketing how come <laughs> um well i mean it is it's i think what I, I i try to stay clear of is generic phrasing and content marketing is generic phrasing uh, uh when you say content marketing someone might say oh you mean like posting on youtube videos and like yes that's true but that's not what I teach, right? Yeah, so okay, gotcha. I, I'm, I give you a phrase today that's much more specific. So I say, I practice and teach other people what blog posts and what emails you need to set up in order to sell your products, right? Mm. Very specific. And uh, you know that, that to me is a clear message. It's also what I'm best at. My products sell on autopilot because someone you know, does a Google search, finds a blog post, joins an email list, goes through a sequence of blog posts that my, my email list sends them and then also automatically makes offers for my courses and my eBooks and my membership site. And those sales come through regardless of whether I'm doing anything. That's all automated. And that was important to me because, like I said, I didn't want 12-hour days. Also, I didn't want to be trapped to perpetual launches. You know, I always need to do campaigns. I, I do them still, but I, I love the fact that every day my stuff sells without me having to do a big launch or having to get new affiliates constantly or having to, mm. you know, always uh, even, you know, I always have to tap into paid advertising or do a webinar. I know you love webinars and I, I won't discount the fact that they're great for selling, but I love the automated nature. So that's why I'm looking at the evergreen aspect of webinars because that's mm. that's what I love. Do something once and have content work for you forever. So I'm always keen to find those kind of methods. And so far what's worked for me is, first of all, and this is really the methodology. So I call this the blog sales funnel. It's a, a phrase I use. It's basically just attaching a blog to your traditional sales funnel marketing. So the blog serves as your central hub. So if you could imagine... If you want to sell something online, you know what your customer, why they need your product. So what their problem is, you should be clear on that. You know, if you're not clear on that, that's your first step. Go figure out why people want to buy your stuff. Like what's the problem you help them solve or what's the need you're, you're meeting. Once you know that, you're creating content to do two things, attract people who have that need and serve people who have that need. And then you're guiding them through a series of educational content that actually starts to help them solve that problem. One of the, the cornerstone principles of blogging and, and content marketing, I believe, too, is giving a result in advance before they buy from you. Someone who actually goes through your, your information and actually can apply it and their life improves, they actually move forward in whatever they're trying to do, will then go, you know what? 
this guy is clearly good at what he does because he helped me get a result. I wonder what's in his paid product. So then they go and graduate to your next level, buying your course or joining your membership site or whatever it is you sell, they buy. So the key is making sure you've got the right content and the right messaging to get the right person and help them. And then they become customers. So that's pretty much what I spend all day on right now and teaching people how to do that and also uh, doing it myself. Awesome. And, um, I'm curious around your sequences, funnels, like how many emails do you tend to send for one product? You know, what's, what's, what's a general consensus game plan there? Like you give someone a lead magnet. So let's say you create a blog post um, on a certain topic and then you might have some form of a lead magnet to try and get their email address. Once, once you give them that lead magnet for email, what happens next? What is the strategy there? What do you like to teach around that? And what do you think works the best? There's a few ways to do this. And a lot of it depends on how mature your business is. And, and, and when I say that, I mean how mature the, the information resources you have. So if you're brand new to this, I actually think the best way to start is to give away a free email course, which is just made up of blog posts. Mm. Uh, if you want to spend some more time, writing a free report or preparing a webinar or preparing a video series will work potentially better. But I don't think it's, you know, if, it, if it's a big hurdle for you to, to leap across, save that from, you know, month three or month six and, and just get something out there with a buy button on it so you can move people through some content. So I actually teach new newbies, people who are just getting started, to write essentially two weeks worth of blog posts, which are linked together through emails. And they start uh, very strategically. It's you're doing what I call a life story post to begin with. And I should clarify, I focus on helping experts, people like teachers, coaches, trainers, authors, speakers, knowledge experts, people who have information in their head and they want to package it up and give it, some of it away for free, sell some of it as digital products. So I focus on that group very much with my coaching and my training. So you can imagine someone who has this knowledge in their head, the first thing they need to do is introduce themselves to the world by writing this life story post that essentially demonstrates their credibility and explains why they're good at what they do. Because you want to buy from someone who's good at what they do. So it's your first point of credibility is your backstory. So we introduce, like if I was going to say, you know, day one in a free email course, it's here's my life story. This is how I got good at what I did. You should learn from what I've done. And then Day two or second email, second blog post, it's some sort of story that leads to the big aha lesson. It's what I call it, the big aha. So most people who teach something, there's a breakthrough moment they had in their own life to solve the problem or have a result. And they can sort of package it up into this, I call it an aha moment. You know, we all have that with our marketing. You know, it's the day you first discovered a certain type of content or you, the, the first time you, you had a breakthrough on Instagram or you had a breakthrough on Facebook ads or webinars or something like that. And you can talk about what was the turning point. So you teach in that day two. And then in day three, you might demonstrate the steps to actually implement the lesson learned and the how-to. It's very much structured teaching this. And the idea here is to give that lesson to demonstrate your credibility to actually genuinely help people to solve their problem. And that all happens during the first week. But also during that first week in your emails and your blog posts, you're actually dropping hints about your product. In fact, you can link to your product. I do this right now. I link to my product at full price. 
So to give you a concrete example, I've got a mindset and productivity ebook, which is my favorite ebook because I love that subject and I think everyone should study that first as an entrepreneur. Mm. So I have a series of blog posts about the, the subject of mindset and productivity, things like the 80-20 rule, the theory of constraints, you know, inevitability thinking, all these concepts that help me and I've learned over the years that help me to do what I do. I teach them in blog posts. And in the second week, I say, hey, I've got this, I call it an e-guide, it's an e-book basically, and it's on special this week only. So week two, there's actually a series of emails that talk about a case study, talk about the special price for the book, and it has built-in launch techniques. So for example, the price is special only this week. And everyone can go through that sequence and experience that week two special only during the second week. And what's beautiful about it is this is set up in an email autoresponder. So everyone, they come to my blog, join the list, and then over two weeks they get sent the first week where the content and the second week is, is offers related to that content and people buy stuff because of all that's been set up and it's a machine and once it's been built, it keeps working for you. So that's in a nutshell, obviously I could, you know, I've got an entire course on this, but um, <laughs> that's the short answer of uh, mm. how the machine works. I see. And can this be applied across board to other niches? Because you talked about um, some people packaging up their information. I'm curious, how can this be used across board if if you wanted to start a blog and use it mm. to grow your business? Well, the great thing about it, it's it's not it's problem solving. And everyone who sells a product, it's a product to solve a problem. So you might have you know a software as a service product. And it's designed to solve a problem for people. You know, let's say you've got a help desk software. Yes. So what you would do is you'd actually write an educational content series, a series of blog posts slash emails that educate people on the, the efficiencies that are available, you know, through through help desk software or even just something simple like how to how to organize your your customer support or how to you know give them some templates on how to deal with common questions or some standard operating procedures you basically give people a little bit of a solution that your your software actually provides the big solution but you're giving them enough that they're going wow this is actually working and and also it's very clear you're showing you know what if you don't want to do this yourself you should buy my stuff because it'll do it for you so, you know, for example, if you're a service provider, this is the perfect model because you can educate and then say, you know what, if you don't want to go and build this entire customer management system yourself, we actually have a team that does this for you. Or you know what, you know, we're running a gym and we're going to teach you through educational content the exercises you need to do and the food you need to eat. But you know what, if you want the personal touch, come join our gym or hire a personal trainer. So it's quite easy that the core principle is educate first, sell second, and the education makes people go, you know what you're talking about. And the blog is just the gateway to reach millions of people on the internet. Mm, awesome. That, that's a really good explanation. Um, one last question before we close up that piece is what about if you have e-commerce physical products, man? Well, it really depends on how many you have. <laughs> you know, Amazon does not have an email sequence for every single product they sell because that would be crazy, <laughs> right? Mm. Um, I think when it comes to e-commerce, the, the the best, and, and, and this is why I kind of love and I'm jealous of people who are in e-commerce, is that you can run with the 
hey, sign up for my email list for discounts and specials and new product releases, right? Your entire email list can be just different segments and product categories of specials and new releases. Because the amazing thing about an e-commerce business, your subject is the products you sell. It's not education about the products you sell necessarily. If they're complicated products, yes. But if you're just selling you know, T-shirts, widgets, you know, sports gear, whatever it is, you don't have to educate people on how to bounce a basketball. So it's not nearly as complex. What you need to do, though, is still have a means to get in touch with your potential customers. And that's where I think the phrase content marketing comes into it. And I think it, it, it comes down to a lot more about your ability to actually reach people through all the mediums. That's when you're tapping into viral videos on YouTube or Facebook. Yes, you're bringing people back to your, your website, but you're ultimately trying to get them to buy the product straight away or join an email list so they can get discounts in the future. You're not really trying to guide them through an educational sequence. Yeah. Yeah, The education is there when you're trying to sell a more complex product or service. Yeah, that makes sense. And you've explained that really well. You're quite good at this. Um, (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good uh, because you're putting it nice and clearly. So for example, if you had an e-commerce product, let's say you sell a coffee scrub like Frank Body, wouldn't it be more beneficial to just try and sell that coffee scrub as opposed to try and push people to sign up to your email list and then if they did buy the coffee scrub you still get their email then you can remarket to like you can um, hit them up again and, and, and offer more products and stuff is like what's your thoughts on that I'm sure you get this question a lot actually no, I don't get this question too much because oh, okay. you know I'm not I'm not in e-commerce too much uh, uh yeah that's right i, I have yeah, i know one students. of my students sells toys yeah uh, like she 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 wants to be in education as well but she her main income source is an e-commerce toy shop yeah, wow. and i said to her you know the key for you is your product is your marketing so you know videos of your product being used getting someone with a large whatever, a large Pinterest account sharing pictures of your product or a large Instagram using your product. You just need to get your product out into the world. And ideally, yes, bring a person straight back to buy it. That's the first goal. I think where the email list comes in is to capture the I'm not ready to buy it, but I probably will be soon people, right? And that's when things like you know, exit intent emails are great. There's so many things you can do today with a person who, you know, comes and then abandons a shopping cart and you can have a pop-up that says, hey, here's a 10% voucher <laughs> on this if you want to grab it now. Yeah, or, yeah. you know, and hey, timer you know, we, on it as well. Yeah, all those sorts of <laughs> scarcity things. It's, it's not, you know, it's not what I do. I'm not an e-commerce specialist and there's so many tests that people do when they're e-commerce platforms, you know, like the the layout of the shopping cart, the, the the special offers. I think what's important, regardless of what you're selling, is having some mechanism to get people onto an email list because in the future you're going to have a new product to release. And the best person to buy that new product is someone who's bought your other products. This is a key principle in the blog sales funnel and in sales funnels in general. The best customers are people who've bought from you before. And it, it always blows my mind. Like, for example, my client, I remember with uh, the toys, she didn't actually email her previous customers more offers for more toys. And I was like, oh, oh my no. God, that is the best customer database, the best email list you'll ever have. So if you know, you're know you selling product right now and you don't actually go back to those same customers with new product, then you're missing out on most of your income. That's gold, man. Well, thank you for sharing that. Look, we have to work towards wrapping up, but I have a few other questions for you. 
And this is actually this is this is an interesting one that um, me and you've never spoke about, and I'd love to hear your advice because you've been a, an entrepreneur for such a long time. You've seen people come, you've seen people go, and you're you're a seasoned guy. Like you've done many different things, you've done startups, you've you've done heaps of different businesses as well. Um, so that's why I actually often ask your opinion on things. And um, my question to you is, when it comes to founder, you know, something that I'm... <laughs> Again, coaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, look, dude, I think people find this, this answer interesting as well, okay? okay. So just, just give me a shot, all right? Please. Bear with you, okay. okay yeah. All right. <laughs> so when it comes to founder, um, I want to build a brand, right? And you're, you're familiar with this. I don't want to make founder a Nathan Chan club, and I don't really want to make founder all about me, but I, the way I see founder and vision is like, you know, obviously I'm the CEO and I'm leading it. I'm, I'm leading the tribe. I'm leading, leading the movement, leading the vision. However, I don't want an expectation that, for example, if someone were to purchase a, you know, a new product that we launched like founders club, which is an epic membership community with all these uh, amazing resources that, you know, there's an expectation that I'm going to be there and all those kinds of things. I, so I guess the question that I'm going to ask you is personal branding versus branding. How do I make sure that founder can exist without me and it can be perceived that it, that founder is a brand and obviously Nathan's just the CEO? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough question. I've crossed that bridge a number of times myself thinking, what if I want to sell entrepreneur's journey one day? Um, you know, it's selling Yarrow, so it's kind of a hard sell. It's a little different for you because you know you've you've kind of started founder and tried not to be pure Nathan. It's not Nathan's techniques in your magazine. It's Richard Branson's, right? Mm. So you've got that kind of going for you there. Although your Instagram course is in, is Nathan Chan teaching it. Mm, that's so, right. You know, there's an element of you, and it's Nathan Chan's podcast voice when he's doing these interviews. Yeah, that's uh, right. So there's a lot of that happening. But you know, I like to look at an example like Clay Collins and Lead Pages, right? So he was a content marketer, still is, but he became a CEO, and now the, his product is is a software service. So it's not delivered by Clay Collins; it's all these engineers making it. So it's clearly a standalone company. Not to mention. The, even the marketing they do now, it's no longer Clay doing it. It's, you know, Tim doing webinars or whatever. So I think the fact that you've made the decision to not be the brand will immediately mean you'll do the right things to make sure you're not. And I think the key, especially for someone like you who wants to build an education-based business around your brand, is making sure whoever is doing the educating does a good enough job like it has to be on par of a nathan chan level right like because you don't want to go and have people go buy a product and go oh i thought nathan was teaching this i don't like this other guy <laughs> you know or this other girl and then it's not going to work so i think that'll be step one your products have to deliver value without nathan being involved and i actually remember very clearly a lesson from rich sheffron he was a mentor for me in, in my early days and i took a program from him and he was saying you don't actually have a company until your company can operate without you. In fact, can create value without you. Mm. And he, he was actually saying, if you're in the expert education business, then you need to build a company that, and this, is, this was really for me the aha moment deal breaker, was can your company create and launch a product without you having any involvement in it? Mm. And I was like, 
wow, that is, you know, that's two steps, three steps, four steps ahead of where I am. You know, I don't even have the people doing the things I should be doing yet. <laughs> you know, like the, the marketing manager and the, the copywriter. I'm still doing most of my copy and I'm still doing most of my marketing, whatever, back then, right? Mm. Um, but I thought, okay, so how do I, how would I do that? Because um, everyone expects Yarrow's voice to be behind a product. So I think one of the, the keys there will be who you get to teach and who you get to create product. Plus, as you said, it's all about your, your, your branding choices when how you go out there and present yourself. So, you know, you're doing all the right things because you're getting other people to do a lot of stuff. Like you've got Jonathan now as the voice behind your blog, right? Mm. You know, I get a, an email from founder saying he posted an article. Nathan didn't write it. Jonathan did. Mm. Whether I like Jonathan or not, it's another question, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, no offense to Jonathan. He's a, so far. I like his stuff too, but, um, you know, it's a question of your, and this is interesting because your audience will tell you this because I did this. I said, let's bring on a team of writers onto EJ and see what it's like. And, hoping for more traffic for starters and hoping to remove the dependence on the Arrow brand and, and make it more about the entrepreneur's journey brand. And I have to call it a failure because my traffic didn't go up, even though my content production tripled. So, you know, that, that theory went out the door hmm. and the core base of Yarrow fans got upset because they kept seeing these articles from other people, even though ironically I was still publishing as many Yarrow posts as I was before they were just getting drowned out in the other people's stuff. So yeah, wow. that turned out to be a negative for my stuff. So, you know, that's why, what I've thought. And in, in my own case with my own business, I've realized that I love being the voice. I love being the face. I love being the teacher. But there's avenues to create product that aren't about me. So plugins, simple, tiny example. But I sell a, a plugin for WordPress called the Smart Slider. And it's just a little plugin that helps you grow your social media following and your email list by sliding out a little box on your blog on your left side. And it's, you know, it's done great things for my social media and my email list growth. And it's a product that sells every week and it's not Yarrow. It's the smart slider. Mm. So I think what's important is to understand you have an audience that has a need. How you fulfill the need is number one. Doesn't have to be Nathan Chan. Doesn't have to be a personal brand. As long as you fulfill the need and you're doing marketing, you can decide what brand is behind meeting that need. Mm, yeah, great answer. And um, yeah, because I want to build like a like an asset based business. I, I I have you know it's funny. A lot of people say to me like you know oh your your personal brand's going to explode. You're just going to keep doing what you're doing. Like you know um, you know how are you working on your personal brand. I actually really don't care. I don't really care if it benefits founder, but something that's been on my mind at the moment quite a lot is um, how the brand is perceived, and I mm. want to be very careful. And um, yeah, I thought asking you this question while we're recording would uh, make for a very interesting answer that yeah. other people would get a lot of value from. So thank you. you know, I, I want to clarify that I want to be the personal brand. Yeah, I get a I know. lot of. Yeah, I know. Like I, like I said, I consider myself a writer, and the fact that people read my words and buy my writing, I, I'm a paid author, which is a very difficult thing to do to actually get paid for your content today. Mm. So, 
I love the fact that I can make a living from my writing and, and I see myself writing for the rest of my life. That's why I said now I see myself more of a writer and not as much as an entrepreneur because unlike you, I don't want to sit at the top of a company with a bunch <laughs> of people working under me and spending all day, to, you know, sort of, I love strategic thinking too, like you do, yeah. but I, I don't want to be, I, I, I know what I'm good at and I know what my role needs to be and I, it's very heavily content is what I do. So I think that's an important thing for everyone listening into this is what are your strengths and how do you deliver value and what role will you perform in your company? And that needs to reflect how you build the company around yourself. That's, that's pretty important. Because mm, I think like the stuff that I do with Founder, I always see it as a startup, but sometimes it can be infused with just pretty much, you know, online marketing, online entrepreneur, online business kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. sometimes it can get confused. All my people, pretty much, they all want to be the face. They all want to be the brand. So, you know, that's mm. why I specialize in that that kind of person because let's face it, the value is in their head. Mm. And they want to get it out there and they want to help. That's what floats their boat, so to speak. So I think you like building a company. I yeah. think I know you want to help people too, but I think of that's course, what floats yeah. your boat is building a company. So you have to also, you know, go through the process of building a company, get an office, hire full-time staff, you know, all that. I, I hate those things. <laughs> you know, I don't want an office. I want to sit in cafes all day and type. That's laptop like. lifestyle. It's all about the laptop lifestyle. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. No, uh, well, look, dude, um, like where's the best place people can find you? Well, the, the to find me, the simple answer is just to Google my name, Yaro, Y-A-R-O. I have the blessings of a weird name that easily to rank number one. I've ranked number one for Yara for, well, ever since I've been online, basically. So if you want to find my blog, my podcast, but if you're more specifically looking for how to start selling products and services from a blog using what I talked about earlier, that what specific blog posts and what specific emails you need to create, then I recommend you go grab my blog profits blueprint, which is a free report and a series of some training videos and that's at blogprofitsblueprint.com. Awesome, awesome. So blogprofitsblueprint.com. And uh, yeah, I'll mention that at the at the start and also um, in the notes. So yeah, look, thank you uh, so much for taking the time, Yara. You've, you've shared so much gold. Um, this has been an awesome conversation, dude. I just want to say it's really cool to be able to you know have you come back because you did interview me and I did interview a very very long time ago. That's how we became friends when I first started Founder, mm -hmm. and um, it's funny because, dude, I watched one of your videos when I was in my day job, literally like four years ago. So I started you know Founder almost three years ago now, and about four years ago I was in my day job. I distinctly remember sitting at my desk. And I was, you know, always interested in the entrepreneurship thing. And I watched this video that you did a talk. You had long hair and you you had the <laughs> microphone and you, you, you know, holding the microphone and you did this talk in this dark area to this whole ton of people. And I found it so extremely inspiring. And I was thinking, wow, that guy's living the dream. He's so cool. And, you know, <laughs> seriously, you know. Even like, with the long hair, you thought you, I was cool? <laughs> yeah, man. That was, dude, you should never have lost the long hair. You should turn that into a man bun now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I'd be a hipster like you, Nathan. So. <laughs> so anyways, like, it's just awesome just to, you know, have you come back and to to have you share with everyone and, and for us to be able to chat like we're chatting now. So, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm loving to be on your, your podcast, but more 
more importantly, I'm loving to see your growth, Nathan. I have never seen someone grow as quickly as you've grown, Founder. It's incredible. The Instagram, the magazine, how much hustle and how much you get out the door and, and who you've connected with that like you've built. <laughs> I know you don't want to build a personal brand, but Nathan Chan is getting pretty <laughs> out there um, pretty quickly from, from a standing start. So I'm, I'm, I've been blown away. And I love seeing it from the sidelines too, being able to talk to you on a regular basis and uh, watch you rise and rise. I, I, I've no idea where you're going to be in the next few years. It's going to be huge, whatever it will be. Oh, well, thank you, man. You know, I just, uh, just doing what I love, but, uh, yeah, dude, look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.